authority. Bless his words. Bless our ears to hear. Bless our hearts to receive. We pray, Holy Spirit, guide and direct what happens in the next little while. Uh, amen. I did, thank you. So how many, uh, your answer was more the first one? How many all thought about the second one? Both? Okay, good. Yeah? Anybody more the first? No? Yeah, some of you? Mm Mm-hmm. And second only? Esther? Okay. Interesting. Good. Well, theology's not bad. Good. Um, Don't forget these. Pick them up. Go ask Starbucks if you can put them up. They'll say no, but that's okay. Uh, But lots of places will. Laughing Bean. Laughing Bean. Yeah. Besides, have coffee there instead, too. <laughs> and uh, words out, there's a special guest going to be there who's going to sing um, Oh Holy Night, just saying. All right. So let's... Um, Let's talk about this a little bit, this whole idea of, of our... I thought this was, this was kind of an accident because this was supposed to be a, ser- uh, a message I did in November. And because we, we had that prayer sharing, that time that I was supposed to share this, we did that instead. But I think it's actually quite fitting that we end this year-long series, pretty much, on worship. Can I take my jacket off? Or hoodie, or what do you call it? Sorry. Control yourselves. Um, So, a a few years ago, I bought a car. And um, I, we bought a car. With Kathleen's help, I bought a car. And... um, I, when I was kind of looking at the shop, and it, it wasn't a new car, but it was close to being new, about a year old. And, but even with it not being completely new, they still were into offering these options. They offered, you know, GPS, rear view video, uh, motion sensors, and uh, satellite radio, all these things. And it was very nice and interesting, but it was too costly for me, so I declined the, the options. And been very happy with the car. But today a lot of people are seeing corporate worship the same. It's like a, a, an option to our faith, and, but it's become very costly. It's become very expensive, and a lot of it has to do with just the lifestyle, and the margins are just becoming so thin, just trying to make a living and survive in our culture. And some of the rationale is, well, God's always with me, and, and it's true. He's, he is wherever we are. He's in us. He's everywhere. We can encounter him in 
And I think there is an aspect that our whole life is worship. That is true. And, uh, but in Scripture, uh, the context of worship is, has always been communal. And you see it from Genesis to Revelation. And in this particular passage of Scripture, it's interesting that we in the last couple hundred years have been swimming in what I call a sea of individualism. It's, it's, it's influenced our whole culture. We, we're swimming in this ocean like fish. We're swimming in this ocean of individualism and privacy, and we have no idea that we're in it. And it's so different from the biblical worldview. It's so different from the ancient worldview, which is very communal. And actually, it's quite different from most cultures in the world. We're, we're talking about Western culture. And this psalm, often when we read the Bible, you know when we read the, the New Testament and the letters? We always read it, what does the Lord have to say to me? Well, those were always written to communities. They were always written to a corporate entity of people, a family, different churches. And I don't know how long I've read this psalm, and I love this psalm, but the penny dropped for me as I was preparing this sermon. This is a song about corporate worship. So let's, let's look at it together. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? So it sounds kind of private, sounds kind of individual, and I think that's where it throws us off. But here's the thing, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Now there's a, there's a powerful synergy between the individual and the person and corporate worship that you see in this passage. Powerful, powerful synergy. But we've been very influenced by a false narrative. And that, that narrative... Oh, I was going to show you this because, you know, you think it's costly for you to attend corporate worship? How do you think pastors feel? Right? So I just thought I'd throw that up there kind of been going around on Facebook. Um, so the first false narrative is that worship is a personal matter meant to inspire the individual. And again, as I said, this is most of these false narratives that we talk about are based on partial truth. They're ba- you know, a lie, the lie, especially lies of the, of the enemy, are usually quite powerful because he takes enough truth in them, doesn't he? to make them lethal, to condemn us, to shame us, to, to get us off track. It sounds truthful. And it's no different here. Solitude is a very important part of our worship. That is true. In fact, we see Jesus practice solitude a lot. And yet, I was reading this week, 
that he went into the synagogue in Nazareth and it says, on the Sabbath as was his custom or habit. So Jesus practiced corporate worship. But yet solitude was also part of his life of worship. So as I said, God is everywhere. Our whole life is an act of worship. By the way, I, I was kind of the architect with a lot of input, of course, into our national fusion document that you'll find on our national website. And one of the biggest pushbacks I got when we were interacting about the wording was this phrase that I felt was really important, that we are being led deeper and deeper to where our whole life is an act of worship. I got a lot of pushback, and I thought, this is the vineyard. How come? You know, how come that's such an issue? And I realized that the, the struggle is with being authentic. That's another value in the vineyard. And so how can I say my life is an act of work, worship when I look at my week, you know, that I've just had, and I kind of go, are you kidding me? So it's a journey, right? That we're going there, right? That's where we want to go, where our whole life, where everything we do is worship, right? What does that mean? What does that look like? And what's the role of corporate worship in that, right? Because we only do that for a couple hours a week and maybe with our home group a little bit. And um, maybe if I could see, our whole life, if our whole life is, is worship, what is corporate worship? I would like to offer to you, and I just thought of this. I, th I thought it was pretty clever. I'll see what you think. Our, wor our corporate worship is a vital organ in our corporate entity. You see, right now, I have a couple organs missing in my body. And before your imagination goes too wild, let me just tell you that it is my, <laughs> my, at the age of 10, they took out my appendix because it was acting up. And at the age of 38, they took out my gallbladder. The appendix, I don't think they still figured out what it does, but the gallbladder kind of has a role. But you can live without it. And I had this gallbladder disease. And now, they used to try to remove the stones but now they just take it out. It was a laparoscopic procedure. I can give you an organ recital if you'd like. But, um, but my point is, speaking of organ, Lord heal our organ. Um, my, my point is, is that I would like to offer you that there are some organs they can't take out of your body because you can't live without them. And I would like to offer to you that corporate worship in your worship body your worship entity, corporate worship is not an appendix or a gallbladder. It is, it is a heart or liver. Okay? It's not the be-all and end-all of worship, but it's a vital organ. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So, um, I, what about people who can't attend? Like Rose has told me, she can't always come because of health. And Joanna's been going through a period. And we've had Susan and other people who are shut-ins. I have a beautiful story about Kathleen's mom. And I was going to talk to you about this before, and I ran out of time. <laughs> but Kathleen's mom was a beautiful Catholic lady. And, and I think Kathleen's sister is actually going into this now. They call it lay apostles. So what happens is the priest ordains lay people to do what they do. And, and it's particularly valuable when people can't go to church, the church goes to them. And so, of course, in Mass, Mass is very important to Catholics, which, uh, you know, the, whatever you want to call it, breaking a bed should be important to all of us. 
Um, so they take this to shut-ins, to people who are in nursing homes and, and, and are not able to come to church. The church goes to them. So I think, there's, I think that's important, especially if we really believe that this is a vital organ. If we really believe it's that important, that sense of watching out for one another when, you know, there, there will always be an effort, okay? You know, it's like the guy that woke, and woke up one morning, says to his wife, I don't feel like going to church this morning, right? And, and I don't feel good. I feel depressed. I've had a rough week. I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. And uh, she said, well, you better go. You're the pastor, right? So, <laughs> so we've had that story a few times. Um, so it's like when Dave, and, and by the way, Dave, I was telling Dave he's world famous right now. I didn't know this. Uh, who's helping me with my blog? Wade's not here today. Wade, Wade just put my blog on a new format. I didn't know this, but I guess David Roos has been promoting, <laughs> promoting the blog on the national site, and I didn't realize that, so I better be, watch my P's and Q's. But anyway, you're world famous now, Dave. <laughs> I wrote about Dave this week, and, and the fact that when he, when he, we almost lost him in June, you know, and his kidneys failed, and, and uh, the next day after I'd heard about it, we... Um, uh, when you guys were having communion here, and I didn't know you were having communion here, I just felt the Lord tell me to take communion today. So I found some good wine. I checked with the nurses to make sure it wouldn't do his kidneys totally in, you know, or, or do, do the rest of them in. And they said, yeah, the wine's in. And I grabbed some of Kim's banana bread, supernatural banana bread. And we went up into that hospital room, and we had church. And it was so beautiful. When I walked in, Lynn was there with Gordy Gibosh, and they were worshiping. And uh, Dave couldn't talk at that point. Do you remember that, Dave? You don't, yeah. I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, you didn't say a whole lot that day. You couldn't talk. But it, the presence of God. And I felt the love and the prayers of our church. Because you were breaking bread at the same time. I didn't, I, I didn't know that. We didn't plan that. But you were breaking bread here. That morning you had Andy Park here. And, uh, and it was just such a beautiful picture of the church coming to where somebody, you know, needed the church to come to them. So I think that's very, very, very important aspect of this, that in this whole understanding of corporate worship. So the true narrative then, what's the true narrative? Well, the true narrative is worship is a communal matter meant to instruct or shape us. It shapes us. It's in, it's in corporate worship. You know, the fact is, it's just like when you were born. You were born, whether you like it or not, into a family. Might have been a good family, might have been a bad family. Doesn't matter. You were born into a family. And when you were born of God, you were born into a family. You were, when you put your faith in Christ, you were baptized into a worshiping community. It's, um, and, and, and you're being shaped, just like you're shaped by your family. You're shaped, the DNA, the pattern, the traits shape you so corporate worship shapes you because in corporate worship we tell our story and we tell our stories in the light of that story we we learn a common language not christianese no i don't mean that but the language of faith paul said till we all come to the unity of faith in the knowledge of the son of god a common understanding and i i, I 
I've been saying this so much. If I struggle with insomnia, I just, I, I've been in memorizing, re- reviewing this part, but I love it. He says, I beseech you, therefore, as the prisoner of the Lord. In other words, I'm in jail, I'm your pastor, and I know I can't come to you right now, but don't be discouraged. I appeal to you to walk worthy of the vocation you have. Walk worthy, let your lives be aligned with the calling you have. Well, what does that look like? In all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. For there is one body, one spirit, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over us all, and in us all, and through us all. It's just him, him, he just through us all. And yet that unique DNA and, and expression of God that you are, his work of art, coming together in this incredible kaleidoscope or mosaic or whatever you want to call it. I'm not mad, Tor. I'm excited. I'm just excited. It's like at a Canucks game. Woo! Right? That's kind of... Sometimes when I yell, the kids get scared. They go, he's mad. He's mad. Well, I am mad in a, in a certain way. Yeah, that's true. So, so the second false narrative is that worship is an obligation we owe God. And it... Sometimes it sounds like God's on his ego trip. Worship me. Exalt me. Magnify my name. And we think of it in human terms. And it reminds me of that. Do you guys remember that me worship video thing I showed? Where this guy, uh, it was kind of a a, 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 um, parody. Is that the word I'm looking for? Anyway. It's where this guy, he gets up and it's, it's called, uh, they're promoting this Me Worship album. So there's name, there's songs like, I will lift my name on high. Oh, I love to sing my praises. And then there was another one, I exalt me. I exalt me. Oh, and my favorite, it's all about me. Really? <laughs> And then there's special Christmas ones. Oh, come, let us adore me. Oh, come. <laughs> and then, then they have this website. Now you can order your copy at me, myself, and I.com, right? <laughs> oh, it was, it was brilliant. We had fun with that. But anyway, we have this idea that, that God's like that. We kind of think God's just kind of, you know, it's all about me, and why don't... You know, what, what is that? And so it's, it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation he's giving us to love and enjoy him forever, understanding that we were wired and designed for worship. We will worship regardless. Every one of you is a worshiper today. Because by... Uh, nature, if you don't worship God, you worship yourself. It's a choice. I kind of see it like, um, like a, a star 
and the planet going around the star or the sun. And I, either I am the orbit around which my life is, is, is orbiting, or I'm being pulled out of my orbit by the presence and power of God, right? So you and I either worship God or you worship me, yourself. All the idols we have are self-worship, whether it's sex or drugs or whether it's money or your loved ones or your religious activities or your church activities. Any of those things can be an idol that you worship yourself with. And actually the most serious idolatry is religious idolatry. It's the kind that Jesus just couldn't... Yeah, just couldn't, couldn't deal with it, could he? Yeah, he kicked those tables. Who was it, Sally? She did that, yeah. With the kids a few weeks ago, right? Turning over the tables. Because why? Religious idolatry. People were worshiping themselves through religion. So we become attached to addictions. Attachments, we call them. We either have attachments or... We're being weaned from those. And, and hey, we're all recovering for the rest of our lives. I'm a recovering Pentecostal. I tell people that. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> Let's start a 12-step together, buddy. Yeah? So then what is worship? If, if I kind of have this working definition, and I don't think any of us really know totally what worship is. We kind of get glimpses of it. But what, it, what, what, what is it really? And I, I, I think it's the appropriate response of the heart to the awareness of the presence of God with the understanding that only God can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. Having God at the center of my life causes everything else to come into alignment because even love can be a horrible thing, a damaging thing a possessive thing because it's got hooks and it's like I'll do this what are you going to do for me so we see this connection between worship and having our thirsty hearts satisfied by the presence of God in our psalm that we read today one of my favorite vineyard songs ever written was by Andy Parker buddy who we've had here a few times it just goes like this no one but you Lord can satisfy the longing of my heart. Nothing I do, Lord, can take the place of drawing near to you. Only you can fill my deepest longing. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can fill my heart with laughter. Only you can answer my heart's cry. So when I see beauty, when I see something that just makes my heart soar. I realize that the one behind all of that beauty, the source of that, so I can enjoy beauty in, in all of its forms. And when there's ugliness and darkness and pain, then I remember that he dwells in a dark cloud too, that he's there, he's with me, even if I can't see at that point. So worship is an invitation by God to have our deepest needs met by him as we put him first. 
John Piper said this, God is the most glorified when we are the most satisfied in him. So how do we worship? Well, I'll give you a couple things. The first is the greeting. This is such a powerful part of worship that when somebody walks in the door, they're acknowledged and they're welcomed. First Nations know that, don't they, Francis? The importance of just acknowledging and honoring somebody who walks in the room. So thank you, hospitality team and welcome table team. Who are you guys? Everybody, hey, stand up. Anybody that is on our hospitality, on our welcome table team, you make snacks, you make coffee. Who makes the coffee? Who's our coffee people? Yeah. This is such an important part of our worship. This is worship. It's not like a nice little kind of, you know, add-on. It's worship. So thank you guys. It means so much. Um, and churches through history have always had this part of worship called the offering of the peace, where they stop in the service. And it was similar to what Jerry did where he just asked us to turn and, and greet one another. But more formally, they would just turn to one another and just say, the peace of Christ to you. Amen. You know? <laughs> and you just turn, turn to one another and just say that. The peace of Christ. Offer that peace of Christ as a gift. Such an important part, and it's a recognition that worship is communal. It's community. It's corporate. Um... The second um, way that we worship is through silence. Uh, I took a course um, a couple, uh, a month ago, and one of the exercises they gave us was to think about an emotional experience that we'd had in the last little while and take about 10 minutes and share it with somebody. So we paired up, and we were given instructions. You can't say anything while that person is talking. Not even a question, nothing. You just listen. And then um, at the end of it, they, you take turns and they do the same thing for you. And then you take time to, to reflect back to each other what you heard. It was powerful. First of all, I loved it because as a pastor, I didn't... It was so refreshing to feel like I didn't have to come up with a clever answer or a good question even. I just needed to listen. It was really restful. And then when I shared, I realized I didn't have to be in insecurity that I was going to be interrupted, which, which surprised me that how uh, often, just because of my life, the chaos, that ability to just share heart, they're, they're, they're few and far between. So there was, it was very replenishing and then powerful when, you know, I, 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 they talk about learning to listen to yourself because if you don't listen to yourself well, you don't listen to others well. And as I listened to myself in that experience, I just saw how tempting it was for me to think about an issue or a project or somebody got up behind me and was leaving and I, my mind, and I just had to rein my heart in the whole practice of listening and I thought of that after I was done, and I realized, I wonder how God feels. 
Do we ever listen to him? Do we ever say, God, you can talk, and I'm not going to interrupt you. You just, just talk. And one of the most humbling and important things we can do is just be silent because you're, you're giving up any sense that it's up to me. It's up to my performance. That's why on Thursday night, we're just going to have a time when you just come in silence. Just be. We'll have a couple of times where we talk, and, but a lot of that, most of Thursday night will be silence. Just warning you, we have a sign. Come in silence. So we're going to try to practice that more in our corporate worship. We're trying to. It's not easy. We don't come from a culture where we're used to that. Thanks. Um, Singing. I was listening to the CBC um, interview of a musical family, and I forget the name of them. You know, there's Rankins, and there's different families that are pretty well-known. Musical families, Partridge family. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) And uh, um, I, I can't remember who it was, but she said how much it meant for them to sing together as a family growing up. There was just something that happened when a group of people sing together that is mystical, that nothing else does. And we live in a culture where that happens so little, but Scripture is full of this. And in church, you know, uh, we sing our stories, we sing our language, we, we corporately interact with the Creator in our worship. Barry McGuire, I remember, used to say um, that music worships by its very nature. And it was created to worship God. And if it doesn't worship God, it still will worship. Now, I'm not saying that every song should have Christian lyrics. And, you know, I'm not saying that. I think there's a lot of wonderful song in the quote-unquote secular world that are powerful and there's worship in them. But it's recognizing the power of music to make us aware of the presence of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Music, music, music. What would the world be without music? I can't imagine a world without music. It'd be like a world without color. What a gift. And we get it for all eternity. I had a friend who was a worship leader, and he, had a vi- he, he actually went to heaven. I don't know whether it was a near-death experience or a vision. But he went to heaven, and he, he said he, he didn't see the music. He heard the music. He saw the music. He smelled the music. He tasted it. Like the music embraced all the senses. Wow. That's a good band. (laughs) I mean, you know, Wade with his smoke and those, you know, lasers we had, that's a start. But Scripture and sermon. You know that we read Scripture. You know that. You see that. I told our leadership team this week about a, a survey that was done just recently in North America of 1,000 churches and 250,000 people. Now, you guys have got the letter. You can't, can't tell me, unless you haven't read it yet, which is very likely. Um, 
But, because it was long. But the, um, they cataloged the lives of 250,000 people and they found that the greatest influence on spiritual growth, the number one influencer of spiritual growth that people testified in their life was Scripture. They said, uh, the Bible's power to advance spiritual growth was unrivaled. And most important and most transformation, get this, occurred when people talked about the Bible with other people. In fact, people were better off discussing the Bible with their friends than studying the Bible alone. So we, we've really adopted that value in our church. We try to incorporate our teaching into the small groups. We're going to be doing more of that in the new year where we actually do it here, where we just kind of seamlessly try to interact teaching with interaction with each other and kind of go back and forth that way. It's just a powerful discipleship tool. Lectio Divina, which we'll be practicing on Thursday, is an important way of doing this. Saying the creeds, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, heaven and earth, and declaring our faith, the Lord's Prayer, some of the prayers of the church, the, the beautiful come Holy Spirit prayer that we love to pray, offering, coming and giving time for repentance. Just, Lord, search me, O God. Giving space for that. Communion. Oops, sorry, offering our gifts. Mixed up. As, as Peter said, it's a time to, that we do it as a part of our worship. Communion. We tell our story of what happened. We declare our hope of what will happen so that we can encounter God in the present. Past, future, present all come together in communion. And finally, the blessing. Did you know that the Lord instituted the benediction for... Israel, do you remember what it was? He told the priests, when you bless the people, this is what you say. The Lord bless you. Sorry, Tor. I'm trying to settle down. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. How do you say that like a Mennonite? The Lord bless you and keep you and causes Face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you and turn his face towards you and give you peace. Or the Trinitarian greeting that Paul gave, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But my favorite, are you ready? The benediction of St. Francis. Not the Pope, I'm talking about the guy that lived few hundred years ago. St. Francis of Assisi, whom the Pope was named after, by the way. Here's what he said. Are you ready for this blessing? May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deeply within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice and oppression and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war 
so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. He's my hero, by the way, because when Christians were crusading in the Middle East and killing Muslims by the thousands in the Crusades, little St. Francis walked across to the Mediterranean, took a boat across the Mediterranean, and made friends with one of the most powerful Muslim sultans in the world. Not sure that he actually ever led the guy to Christ, but they sure were good friends. Man of peace. So, oh, let's finish with this. Just relax. Put your notes away. I know some even feverishly writing notes in my dreams. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Kathleen actually, she'll, she'll, I go, did I say that? <laughs> so can, can we close by pulling back the veil a little bit? And getting a little bit of a picture of what happens every time you and I meet together for worship. Because the writer of Hebrews said, it's an old Jewish cop, coffee shop there, Hebrews, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast. When you guys walked in today, he's saying you didn't come to that. You didn't come to a voice speaking such words that those who heard it begged that they know no further words be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But, no, when you walked in today, you've come to Mount Zion. See, they just had a little toy train. They just had a little model heaven with that mountain of Sinai and the temple and the tabernacle. That was just, that was just play. That was toys. You got the real thing. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You Today, this morning, when you walked in, you came to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Whoa. That's church. Some of our kids have told me they've seen angels as we worship. They're here. They're with us. We're not worshiping alone. So let's have a practice ceremony of what, what the real thing looks like. Let's go. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. 
Told somebody, Ruby's coming to church today. A rainbow that shone like an emerald circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is, is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in East Vancouver and on the sea and all that is in them saying, see, that's a worship. That was what our worship was today. We joined with that crowd. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four and living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. So my prayer is what Paul prayed, that, that our eyes of our understanding be opened to know the hope of our calling. And the veil gets removed that when we walk in, we're not alone. Oh, there's demons here too. Remember? Remember that, that guy that came to church faithfully Sunday after Sunday, every Sunday, gave his offering, you know. But one day Jesus walked in and this nice, faithful churchgoer, ah! Jesus, Son of God, why have you come to torment me? Right? Remember? How come you went for years to church and that never happened, but then when Jesus showed up, it did? You see, the light flushes them out. The light flushes them out. So don't be surprised if the more God's presence comes, our awareness of it, our realization of it, our eyes are opened. It's like the Zen Buddhist um, master said, you can't make the sun rise. All you can do by spiritual practices is make sure you see it. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Are you offended that I quoted a Zen Buddhist? Hey, they got some truth. <laughs> Corporate worship is the only place we hear the true story about who God is, who we are, and what our lives are all about. Really, really hear it. Really get it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for that. The only reason mission exists is because worship doesn't. That there will come a time when mission will finish. And there will be no more mission. There will be just worship for eternity. And that our mission is to restore the earth to worship. Where the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God in Christ. Lord, we hear your invitation today to come. We say only you, only you can answer our heart's cry. <coughs> Amen. Well, I've gone a bit longer, so I'm going to ask you all to stand. You got a word, hon? Holy Spirit is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. And so we can proclaim the truth, but really when we make a decision to partake, someone invites you to their home, and they've got this beautiful meal for you, and you're invited in, and then you say, I don't want to partake. And you're, you're there, but you're not partaking. And the person's labored like Gloria did for us as a leadership team. And we come in, and we sit there, and we refuse to eat. Doesn't make sense, does it? 
But this is going to be happening more and more. Where we come, and then the Lord shows us, do you really want to partake? Or are you just keeping a, a space here with your rear end on the seat? Like, so I know this week I had to really cry out to God because I had an accident where I pulled a pinched nerve. My husband was there to help me, and I thought, thank God for that. I didn't have to call 911 if I was alone. But I just think the Holy Spirit is really inviting us to partake. Mm. So you've heard a masterful presentation of the incredible grace of God. And so how do we partake? Do we just walk away and drink tea? We turn to one another. That's our custom here. And we find someone. Leslie, this was unbelievable that you just were walking by and felt God bring you in here. And she said that she was feeling that she didn't want to be alone. She wanted to be with worshipers in a community. So we want to pray with you. This is so beautiful. What a gift. If Gordy just preached just for you, it would have been worth it just today. But let's just turn to one another, somebody that we trust. And if it's healing that you need, if it's being awake that you need, if it's a blessing for your birthday that we need, if it's friendship, if it's deliverance from loneliness, if it's, like we talked about Christy, if it's a babysitter we need, whatever we need, the Lord is here. So let's make sure, and it's wonderful to welcome your friend today, too. Thank you. So let me bless you. Today is Terry Ann's last Sunday for a while. And so part of worship is grieving. We're not rejoicing over that. It's very sad for us. We're going to miss you. You've been such a wonderful part of our community. And will continue to be, even though you're away. And we're hoping we can see you again for a little while, maybe, in April. So she's going to go to Atlanta. So I'd love it if some people gathered around her and blessed her. And then we're going to celebrate, I think. Uh, Not that she's going, but celebrate her season with us by just having uh, snacks. And what else we got there? Hospitality people? Life-changing banana bread. Life-changing banana bread. It does. It 